Science fiction has helped society look to the future with shows like Star Trek, Doctor Who, and Battlestar Galactica. And movies like Star Wars, The Matrix, and The Avengers have helped us pioneer the use of new technologies and to never give up on the human spirit. Fantasy stories like The Lord of the Rings, The Chronicles of Narnia, and even the game Dungeons and Dragons have helped us look at the past with an open mind, but have led us to question the fundamental principles like good and evil, right and wrong, reality versus fantasy, and to question our morality versus our humanity. Cosplay has always blurred the lines between science fiction, fantasy, and reality. For those to participate in the hobby, advancements in technology have caused more and more people to participate in cosplay. With the addition of 3D and resin printers, it's even easier to make and mass-produce the costumes and props from our favorite TV shows and movies. To the public, the ever-expanding worlds of science fiction and comic book conventions have led to more and more cosplayer interactions. This podcast is your exclusive space for science fiction news. This podcast is your place to catch up on the world of fantasy. This podcast is your place to talk about the role of cosplay. This podcast is... The Galaxy Folks, welcome to this episode of the Galaxy Cast. I have with me two, you know, Sibilmany, three people in the studio today. I have with me Austin the Inquisitor. I'm going to come up with a better name for you now. Agreed. Inquisitor said, doesn't I, work anymore. I what said, are we doing? I said video game boy because I am the one no, who wins. No, 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 <laughs> no. I not? kick your butt in video game land all the time, every Get time. Call of Duty Cold War. We'll see. I could dance in front of I'm you. I'm not wasting my time on Cold War, or whatever. <laughs> Imagine you, me, and Aunt Robbie playing that. It'd be uh, awesome. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. We got to come up with a different name for you. Maybe you're my Jade, my Silent Bob. Yes, you are Jason. Yes, you are Austin Muse. How's that? You are Austin <laughs> so I'm Muse. Being adopted by Jason Muse. You now? have now officially been adopted by Jason Muse. Are you with me on this? <laughs> oh Get with God. me on this. So I'm supposed to be able to. Go if you're watching yeah. on Facebook, Muse, hey, just yeah. just give me a good yeah. thumbs up on Messenger <laughs> so I know. Also, we hear a ping over there. <laughs> if we hear a ping, you know what's going on. So we have with us Austin Muse, and I am Bob Chrisman. Your Kevin Smith host, oh because God. I am not silent, nor am I Bob, but I am Bob, so that kind of works. So I prefer Statler and Boulder at this so point. So I guess, really, it's Jay and Talkative Bob, or Bob that won't shut up. So yeah, there we go. That's what we are. We are Jay and Bob that won't shut up. Okay, so we have two, count them, two things we're going to talk about at the beginning of the episode today. We are going to talk about... Well, Scarlet Joe and Disney and all the stuff that's going on there, because how can we not talk about that? By the way, Emma Stone's in on that, too. Now we're going to talk about that for a little bit, and then we'll we'll come back with our second point, which is what's going on with Kathleen Kennedy and Bob Chapek and Disney executive contracts? What? It can't be. And then after the break, we're going to talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier, Episode 1, titled New World Order. Okay, so this just came out yesterday as we are recording this episode because it's taking me a little bit to edit episodes and get them out. 
And I gotta say, I was like, not surprised that this came out. My son actually apparently I was... I missed it. My friends don't post this kind of stuff well, on Facebook. Well, no, I, I decided that you're like the caveman on those Geico commercials that you were under a rock somewhere because I don't know how you missed this in the uh, past 24 hours. Because I wasn't on Facebook within 24 and, hours and also and my friends don't post this stuff. I would like to point out, before mm-hmm. we get into this topic, I said it was there was going to be a problem with Disney and this movie. Remember I said when we talked about... Black Widow, last time we talked. I swear, they're listening to our podcast before they come out now. (laughs) Remember I said that there was a money problem with Black Widow. Oh, yeah, that we're not. And then it was never going to work out for Disney and never going to work out for Scarlet Joe. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? There's a money problem with with, with Black Widow, and uh, it's not working out for Disney, and it's certainly not working out for uh, Scarlet Joe. Just saying. Okay. So, in the wake of Black Widow finally arriving in theaters after multiple delays, star Scarlett Johansson is suing the Walt Disney Company for breach of contract over the movie's simultaneous release on Disney Plus Premier Access. This dual approach to movie releases has been implemented by several studios as a compromise during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. It allows moviegoers to see films on the big screen if they feel safe to do so, or to watch them in their own homes if they are vulnerable, self-isolating, or in an area with high infection rates, or really don't want to leave their home because they're a hermit crab at home. However, that wasn't in the article. I added <laughs> no, no, that part. No, no, I'm just imagining you explaining this, and it's the Bugs Life guy. He's like, there's a leaf in the yes, way! Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, however, it also has opened up studios like Warner Brothers, which is releasing all of its 2021 movies simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max, to criticisms and threats of legal action from theater chains, stakeholders, production companies, and movie talent, and everyone from the camera guy all the way down to the guy who gets the coffee. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Black. You're not cynical about this at all. Not, not at all. You're not pulling Dave Landau. <laughs> no. Black Widow's release has become the centerpiece of a new battle in this war over dual theatrical and streaming releases and could become a bellwether for how future lawsuits play out. Here's a breakdown of Johansson's lawsuits, Disney's response, and the impact it could have on Hollywood. So, ready for this? Why Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney over Black Widow. By the way, this will all be in our show notes. I'm reading right off of the article that's on ScreenRant.com. And adding in our little introduction. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not embellishing it anyway. (laughs) Actresses' contracts often stipulate that they'll be paid by a combination of an upfront fee and either a percentage of the box office profits or bonuses based on hitting certain benchmarks known as a back-end deal. This is beneficial to the studios because it prevents the budget from becoming too bloated during production and limits the overall loss of the movie if but bombs at the box office. Hmm. Could we be worried about that here? Mm-hmm. It can also be very lucrative for the actors. They stand to make a lot more money from the back-end bonuses they would have made or been able to negotiate at an upfront fee. For example, Robert Downey Jr. made $20 million up front for playing Tony Stark in Avengers Endgame and a further $55 million from his back-end deal for an 8% share of the box office profits. I want to just point out, he more than doubled his salary. Can I also point something out here, too? Yeah. The ridiculous salaries we're talking about here. He almost tripled his salary. Another $5 million, he would have tripled his salary. Okay, put that all aside. Even $20 million up front is insane. Is insane. That is more money than I will see in my lifetime. 
And this Actually, is, I'll put it this way. It's more money than our entire audience put together will probably see in their lifetime. And that's where I kind of sit here and say this is insane. Yes, this idea on its front is insane. And you're, I'll, I'll you're, talk about that in just a minute. More or less, so, the reason you're paying that much is for the name and right, the face. Right, we'll talk about that. Okay. So these contracts usually include a guarantee that the movie will receive an exclusive theatrical release, which ensures that they will reach their maximum box office potential. Johansson's lawsuit against Disney states that her salary was largely tied to the performance of Black Widow, with the star set to receive bonuses when it hit certain targets at the box office, and that the decision to release the movie simultaneously on Disney Plus constitutes a breach of contract. Black Widow made $158.8 million internationally in its opening weekend, and a rare lifting of the veil surrounding streaming numbers Disney revealed that it also generated a $60 million in Disney Plus premiere access purchases for a combined $218.8 million global launch. I think I know where we're going. Though Black Widow is another solid hit for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the movie dropped sharply at the box office in its second weekend. Its simultaneous Disney Plus release not only means that some people are choosing to pay for home viewing instead of seeing it in theaters, but also makes the movie more vulnerable to piracy. Johansson's lawsuit argues that this hybrid release strategy has cut into Black Widow's box office profits and therefore significantly impacted the amount that she was protect- projected to make from the movie. So here's Disney's response to the lawsuit. Oh, good night. I didn't realize. I thought we were done with the page. Oh, oh no. Boy. Oh, no. There's oh. more. So Johansson yesterday said she's suing. Disney responded last night. Disney hit back at Johansson for the lawsuit in a strongly worded response stating, quote, There is no merit whatsoever to this filing. The lawsuit is especially sad and is distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Unquote. The company did not address the claims that it ignored previous efforts to renegotiate Johansson's contract through the statement goes on, though the start statement goes on to argue that, quote, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with premier access has significantly enhanced Johansson's ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she has received to date, unquote. A Wall Street Journal source with knowledge of Johansson's contract claims that she faces a projected loss of $50 million in earning due to Black Widow's release on Disney Plus. Ultimately, Johansson's legal standing comes down to, a what, to whether or not she can prove damages and Disney's accusation that the lawsuits show a callous disregard for the pandemic is irrelevant. The fiery response designed to make Johansson back off by threatening her public image. However, the actress's attorney, John Berlinski, responded in a statement via Variety that argues Black Widow's Disney Plus release and the alleged breach of contract was driven by Disney's own financial self-interest. Quote, It's no secret that Disney is releasing films like Black Widow directly into Disney Plus to increase subscribers and thereby boost the company's stock price, and that it's hiding behind COVID-19 as a pretext to do so. But ignoring the contracts of the artists responsible for the success of its films and furthermore of this short-sighted strategy violates their rights and we look forward to proving as much in court. This will surely not be the last case where Hollywood talent stands up to Disney and makes it clear that whatever the company may pretend, it has a legal obligation to honor its contracts, unquote. This sounds like a South Park episode waiting to happen. Well, first off, (laughs) yeah, I can't wait till South Park gets a hold of this because you know... That they're going to totally rail I'm on just this. Imagine that having a Scarlett Johansson 
well, yelling at Mickey, and Mickey just who's who's the girl on South Park? Was it Wendy Testaburger that they hate or whatever I don't it is? Remember, she's the one that had the the girls doing the pixie cup thing, whatever you know. I totally see her being a Scojo in this, and then you know bringing bringing their version of Mickey Mouse back, <laughs> you know, and the Mickey Mouse that curses oh, and has yeah, nothing wrong. Yeah. With I, I, I totally see him <laughs> cursing at Scojo the whole time. I, I First off, okay, I just want to talk, before we even talk about the contract thing, we can talk about that in a second. The amount of money we are talking here is insane. And what I find completely interesting is the same people online, and I'm talking about, yes, my friends on Facebook, the people I know, you all are griping and complaining about the top 2% of the country that don't pay their fair and share in taxes. That includes these people. Just want to point that out. Because the amount of money we're talking about here is insane. Insane. Scarlett Johansson got $20 million up front for this movie. Was it up front just, just the Black Widow film, or is it just for, for her Black as a Widow? Character just overall? for Black No, just for Black Widow. Okay, that was her flat rate for filming Black Widow. I Think just, about that. I asked to make sure twenty million dollars. I mean, that's almost like a Doctor Evil, like twenty million dollars. And then he gets <laughs> lapped out the room by all the world leaders because that money doesn't exist. But just think about that: twenty million dollars. That's just to put your face on the screen. That's not even box office revenue drawing. That's just you. That's insane. That is insane. And it's kind of why I'm sick of the, and, and I'm going to sound like Gary here, I'm sick of the, we keep using Tom Holland for every role. Right. We why keep is- using Will Smith for every role. Though he's a great actor, or both great actors, or other actors and actresses. i got to be honest here, though. But with, with the technology the way it is, you could have a mediocre actress and make them look amazing with the technology. And i got to be honest with you also. I don't know that you need the talent today that you needed to have 40 years ago in order to pull some of these movies off. Agreed, but also people are sheeple. They don't go to films unless they know they're going to be seeing something they want to see. So they go to Black Widow because they know they're going to see Scarlett Johansson. And let's face it, Scarlett Johansson's pretty, so that's one of the things they're going for. You know it, I know it, let's not beat around the bush. Nah. That's the reality. We're not going to you know, beat around the bush in that. When you go to see Thor, Love, and Thunder, you're not going because you really want to see the tiger in the background. <laughs> you want to see Thor's, you know, thighs that are the size of my freaking head. I'm not stupid. I know what's going on there. Oh, oh, right? For all the girls that like Orlando Bloom, right? I mean, like. Ruth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look right at the camera. So, uh, yeah, Ruth. Um, <laughs> Ruth. So I just, I, I, okay. So when we talk about money, this is ridiculous. The, the amount of money we're talking about here is insanity. Insanity. All right. Put that aside a second. Put all that aside. <sighs> Disney. I don't even know what to say anymore. When people ask me about crazy crap like this, my only response is Disney. Like, it, they have taken the Hollywood industry. They have made a monopoly of it. We all know it. Let's face it. The real, real reality is everything goes through Disney. And then people are surprised when the company trounces all over everyone. And I'm like, why does that surprise you in any way, shape, or form? They've been breaking copyright law since Walt Disney died and then 100 years afterwards because technically Mickey and all of the crew should be under fair use. They, yeah. 
Yeah, because they've been breaking that law for so long because they have senators and representatives paid off to allow it to happen. But like I said, they are a monopoly at this point. They own the Hollywood industry. They They are the you know I am the Senate. That's what they are. They really are the empire of the the Hollywood studio industry. The sad part is ugly. That's true. It is absolutely true, and it is ugly. And they don't care who they trample on on their way up. They don't care what they ruin on their way up. And I say that because I think they're ruining Star Wars now. Mm-hmm. And I really think they're starting to ruin Marvel now. And I'm upset about that because I don't think Marvel was intended to go in the directions it's going. I really, I swear to you, if Stan Lee were alive right now, I think he'd be rolling over in his grave knowing what Disney is currently starting to do. Now, more information has come out, by the way. Mm-hmm. Since I since we you know started reading up on this yesterday, first off, apparently Emma Stone is now thinking about suing Disney. Over I'll put this Cruella in the show notes situation. for her Cruella movie. She's claiming that she's running into the same issue. She wants to possibly start a class action now with her and Skojo together. And she wants to the cast and crew from both movies to uh, basically sue Disney together to go after Disney. And then apparently it's come out that Kevin Feige, uh, and I'll put this all in the show notes as well, is not upset or is not happy either. He's upset because apparently he tried to get Disney to renegotiate Scarlett Johansson's contract because he said he saw it coming. And Disney basically blew off Kevin Feige and just kept going on anyway. So it's not that it's the directors or even the controllers of the department or, let's say, the wing of Marvel. It is high-up Disney execs. No, I think there's a big problem here that Disney's suddenly starting to realize. They're losing money on some of their big their big products. And mm-hmm. what I'm talking about there is they lost money on Star Wars. They were expecting big money there. Um, they saw the Mandalorian as a way to make that back for their Disney Plus, and they kind of screwed up there. And that caused another problem because they lost money on the backside of Mandalorian because they irked a whole bunch of people who left. So now oh, they yeah. lost Disney Plus. See, the part that, that you notice they're not talking about, they're not talking about subscriptions. To Disney Plus, they've been very careful not to talk about that, and the reason they're not talking about it is people are actually dropping and adding subscriptions monthly at interesting rates. So when certain shows come out, people come on, they watch the show, they binge watch it, and then they leave, and they don't actually pay into the system because they do it during their their free, free month. month or whatever it is that you get. And so Disney's days, not think, admitting but... that they're actually losing money right now in Disney Plus, and they are. By the way, they will not admit it publicly, but behind the scenes, if you crunch the numbers, if you do the statistics, they're losing money on Disney Plus right now because people are basically gaming the system, and they haven't figured that out yet. And I can't believe they can't figure that out yet. But for it's, some reason, they cannot seem to figure that part out. What happened in the early days of Netflix is what happened in the early days of yep. Hulu. The only thing that Netflix or Hulu have done is they've guaranteed first and, that you put the card in. And, and what they're doing is, mm-hmm. is they're, they're going back to the old tried or true system that the, by the way, the recording industry tried to do back in the 90s, and they're blaming piracy on that. They're saying, well, it's people going out and taking the movie off of their streaming service, downloading it online or uploading it online, and then letting people download it for free, and that's causing problems for us. 
and that I'm might not, be happening. I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm not stupid. Okay, it, it's happening. It is probably happening. But I think what's really happening is, and this is exactly what Gary had talked about too back a while ago. So and so buys the premium pass for the Black Widow movie. Mm-hmm. He invites fifty of his friends, and they all watch it, but only one person paid for it. Right. So you're making money on one, but you're losing everyone else of the forty nine. The other forty nine people. Yep. And you get so to sit your out. Money loss, right? And you get to sit out in your outdoor theater and project it on a big screen and mm-hmm. have a blast doing that. And, and it's not. It's not illegal start to do and that. Start it whenever you want. And, yeah. And, and you can walk, go back and watch it multiple times because you paid for the premium access. So you could do fifty so again, people I'm, one day. You could do fifty I'm, people in the next. I'm not. Day. I'm not. Okay. So I love the movie theater experience. That's why mm-hmm. I went to go see. Black Widow in the theater. I don't want that experience to die. But the real reality is that experience is starting to die. I mean, it's just the reality. The reality is most people do not want to go and get dolled up and go out to a theater. They do not want to spend the prices that the movie theater is charging you to do that. And by the way, the reason they don't want to do that is they've got $1,000 TVs or projectors with screens in their homes with like me with $1,000 home theater systems Mm -hmm. and they don't want to go to a theater that has about the same setup i have maybe worse and watch a movie and spend five times what they could spend at home in the comfort of their own home to do the same thing unfortunately covid pushed hollywood into this situation so your best bet is in order to make money back on profits is rather than trying to make a multi-billion dollar film you have to go back to the 40 style budget. You have to go back to being able to crank out two million to keep yourself afloat. Well, I, I, this, there is, there's going to have to be. I call it the reckoning. There's going to have to be a reckoning in Hollywood. First off, there's got to be a reckoning with budgets. Mm-hmm. And what I say by that is, I, I think, and, and we'll talk about this as we get to our other sub- subject here in a minute. I really think the idea of making 20 million dollars a film is a a thing of the past. Sorry, mm-hmm. Scarlett. It's just the truth. I don't think you're going to start. I, I don't think you're going to see a Chris Hemsworth pulling in a $20 million budget film anymore. I think you'll be lucky There's, to see him pulling in something like 250 uh, to 300. I, well, first off, I think you're going to see smaller contracts. So you're going to mm-hmm. see two, three million for a good actor, right? Like, and I'm for just being honest A-list about actors. that. Like, your A list actors, your B list actors are going to make six figures. I'm sorry. It's the reality. I just, I'll tell you part of it is. And this is just the reality. People are suddenly starting to realize that movies aren't as important as they used to be, right? Hollywood thinks they are, like, here. Like, for those not in the video land, way up at the top of everything. And as COVID hit and people reprioritized their lives and they realized family was more important than going to the movies. Family was more important than the stupid things in life that you thought were so important and now you're kind of like oh well that's not as important as it used to be here's what's important i don't know living (laughs) my health (laughs) my family my family's health you know you start to reprioritize your life and suddenly things like movies and movie contracts and disney start to fall down on the list right like they got put at low potatoes level and i don't think Hollywood's realized that yet. Why? Because we haven't gotten back in a full swing yet, right? Like, we're, completely. We're kind of still in that, like, reconstruction. Well, and now that we're talking about lockdowns again, yeah. I think we're going to be backpedaling on all that, which is crazy, but I can't even believe we're talking about that. But that's a completely different story. But my point is, is as we backpedal or we don't forward pedal and we just stay where we're at, Hollywood has not come to the realization that people are not where they are. 
the money's not where it used to be. By the way, that's what's happening to the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, all these other things. People are not prioritizing that. People are not willing to buy season passes Mm -hmm. to NFL games anymore. They don't see a priority in that. Sorry, it's the truth. So as things start to peel away and this onion starts to peel away about life, people are starting to realize that certain things that they used to prioritize as a big deal suddenly not so important anymore. And Hollywood better start getting right with that. I say that because back in the 90s, that's what happened to the music industry. When Napster came out, right, and piracy hit the the recording industry, the recording industry had to adapt and move. And actually, I give the music industry credit. They did adapt and move. They could have stood their ground and tried to fight. They tried. They went to court. They lost a couple times. And they went, all right, we'll just adapt. And they changed the way they marketed. Hollywood has not changed the way it's marketed since the 50s. I Think about that. Since the 40s. They haven't changed how they marketed in almost 100 years. In its entire creation. Right. Because and, and it I didn't think... really jump from being black and white till after World War II. True. So right around what you're talking about. So we, it went from being like early vaudeville style situations. Right. To silent films to what is now modern day film economy. Well, I, I, I talk about like the way we market films today well, is, that's, that's the is no different than the way we marketed an Elvis Presley film back in the 50s. That's my point. Like we, we put out posters, we put out commercials, we do a couple teaser trailers and then the movie. And that's not necessarily going to work anymore. And I think that's what's starting to slap Disney in the face. They thought if you slapped a Star Wars name on it, everybody would come flocking. And at first it did work. If you build it, they will come. But now they're starting to realize, hmm. If you build it, they'll criticize it. I can't take a piece of garbage, slap a Star Wars logo on it, put it out there and expect them to come because then people are going to be like, no. And then you get a good movie i.e. Solo, and you slap a Star Wars name on it, but because you put a piece of garbage out before it and you slapped a Star Wars name on it, people went, well, now I'm not going to go see your other movie because that last one was a piece of garbage. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people missed out on a good movie because they they had a decent movie and they slapped the Star Wars name on it, thought they would make more money, and they didn't. And I think that's what's going on here. I believe for the first time Marvel is realizing, oh, my gosh, we have a flop on the Marvel side. I'm sure Disney's got to be going, what the heck is going on? And and there is kind of a running for the hills mentality right now within the Disney industry because they're trying to figure out what is going wrong. I was going to say, they failed on Mulan during COVID. They failed Cruella during, during, COVID. during the post-end of COVID. And now Black Widow fails. You've had three failures during and almost after COVID. Mm-hmm. And all three movies that lost money. So when I'm talking about when I'm talking about lost money, and we talked about this last episode, I'm talking about the amount of money you spent versus the amount of money you drew back. Mm-hmm. You did not make as much money as you spent on the film. That's lost revenue. Or, Disney cannot or afford broke open or even. Disney, as big as they are, cannot afford to keep drawing back money on these films, especially these big budget films, or there's going to be a huge, uh, you know. There's going to be a huge backlash about that later on because the people who invest in Disney are not going to be happy about the fact that they're putting all these monies into these films that now suddenly are not going to make back the money they expected. I think they've got some problems ahead of them. I think they're going to have a problem with Chen Chi. 
in the Ten mm-hmm. Rings, which I think is going to in turn create a problem for Spider-Man because now you're going to have two Marvel flops in a row. So I, I, I really looking at what's going on. Let's say Black Widow's a flop, Chen Chi is a, a flop. How's that going to affect Spider-Man? I think it could. I think it could have it, effect. It could be the almost three strikes rule. Where I, it, yep, it's... and I think that domino effect could go into Eternals, which will be kind of a shame because Black Knight's in Eternals, and I'm freaking out about that. But if well, that's your own if, personal opinion, that's my own personal opinion. But if if Eternals, even if it's a good movie, I think that's going to be a Han Solo moment. I think that's going to be a good movie, but I think it's going to be a flop because everybody's going to see that Disney was on the wrong track and they really couldn't get it together, and then they're going to, you know, the the viewership's going to fall off. Uh, and I still think it's all this is part of the Endgame effect. Endgame was such a finality. It came to such a final mm-hmm. that I just think the Marvel fans are kind of like... All right, that's done. Well, they're mentally and emotionally out of it now. Like, they I'm, just don't yeah, have that after, connection after to it. After you walk away from Infinity War with the saddest moment ever, you come to Endgame and it feels like everything's been written off and done because Stark dies, Widow dies... And Cap dies an old man a and few see, days later. I get what they're doing right now. If you're a true Marvel fan, what they're getting to, it, it makes sense. They're moving in a direction that I totally get. The problem is maybe 15% of the population is true Marvel fans that totally understand what's going on. And I'm talking about people who actually read the comics in the 80s and 90s and totally kind of understand what's going on here. Mm-hmm. The rest of the people are just casual Marvel fans, and they don't understand what's really going on. And I think they're confused. I really do think the general public, and, and the public in general, is confused about what's going on. Yep. I think Marvel's got a problem. I, uh, I think they got a big problem, and it's going to... Yeah. The domino effect could be huge. Okay. Which leads to our next topic. So that ties to this, which is an article that I found that I thought was kind of interesting. This is on. So we're going to take, again, everything here is a little bit of a rumor. We're going to take it with a grain of salt. This is off of piratesandprincesses.net. Oh, my um, gosh. But you know what? Interestingly enough, this PNP group, Pirates and Princesses, they've had some interesting stuff and have been pretty close to being correct on most Disney-related things. So that's testing. why they're, believe it or not, they're in my my feed of things that I check in yeah. on every day. Alrighty. So the article's titled Could Kathleen Kennedy Leave Due to Bob Chapek's Rumored Disney Executive Contract Change? So here's what they say. Could a rumor change the Disney Executive Contracts lead to the possible departure of Kathleen Kennedy as the head of Lucasfilm? According to Insider, the magazine, Disney CEO Bob Chapek is rumored to be making changes to Disney Executive Packages. Executives would no longer be secure in their position for multiple years. Contracts could be year-to-year and performance-based going forward from Insider. One rumor going around Disney is that Chapek plans to stop putting executives on multi-year employment contracts to get greater flexibility to hire and fire, a sign of how he may be seeking to put a bigger stamp on the company. The studio exec also predicted Chapek plans some restructuring at the company this fall, unquote. And that might be a good idea. Yeah, and I'll talk about that in a minute. This okay. rumored change to executive contract is said to already be behind many high-profile exits at Disney, including PR consigliere Zenia Mucha and general counsel Alan Braverman. Legendary studio head Alan Horn is rumored to be exiting the company entirely as the same time as former Disney CEO Bob Iger. Kathleen Kennedy's contract was renewed in 2018 and will be up for renewal this fall. 
While Bob Chapak has hinted that Kathleen Kennedy's future at Lucasfilm is secure as recently as March, such a drastic change as how Disney handles its contracts could prompt Kennedy to exit on her own. Kennedy, appointed by George Lucas himself before selling the company to Disney, has been a contentious figure in Star Wars fandom for years. While The Force Awakens debuted incredibly strong back in 2015 on her watch, the Star Wars franchise was in steep decline until The Mandalorian hit Disney Plus and started to undo some of the ill will of the fandom. Kennedy has been blamed by many fans for the downfall of Star Wars, with some claiming Lucasfilm under Kennedy's watch has gotten more and more political. It was recently, sorry, it was reportedly Kathleen Kennedy's idea to theme Star Wars Galaxy's Edge on the Disney sequel area and not the original trilogy which was initially planned. Galaxy's Edge initially opened with a thud. By the way, it's not initially, it's still not doing well. Kennedy's Kennedy greenlit solo a Star Wars story and the production was troubled almost from day one. It became a box office plop flop leading to further Star Wars spin-off stories being regulated relegated to Disney Plus for now. And let's not forget the utterly unforgettable multimedia initiative the High Republic. It split the Star Wars fandom even more than it already was and has generally not been received well at all. So no, Kathleen Kennedy's tenure hasn't been all that great if you ask many Star Wars fans. But would Disney outright fire her? She's been a large figure in Hollywood for decades and it's unlikely that Disney would just show her the door. Pushing a powerful woman in Hollywood out the door current year is a bad look. But a change yeah. in executive contracts could incentivize her to simply leave on her own. Nobody wants to be the bad guy, especially Mickey Mouse. Actually, I think Mickey Mouse revels being the bad guy. but That might be more of our uh, South Park that, rhetoric. Yeah, right? I think that's Pirates and Princesses' viewpoint right. on that one more than anything else. But I, I think, they bring up some valid points here about yeah, they, they definitely rip it apart what's going on. on, on much of a, a point, but they also... Neglect to talk about the fall from fandom about a particular situation post Mandalorian, but that was a small detail. Well, I do think that's part of what's going on here too. I still think that people are upset about the Gina Carano thing. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that falls specifically on the back of Kathleen Kennedy. I'm sorry, she's the one that did it, and and I think Chapek knows that. I think it's a smart call by him to not have multi-year contracts moving this point forward. I also think Chapek's doing that because he's realizing that... If you uh, secure them for too long, it's almost like the Jedi Council. They become sloth well, was, and ignorant. Not and necessarily sloth and ignorant. I just think that they become set in their ways, and then it's really hard to push them to do something new or different or out of the box. And I also think that it might push some of these executives to take some of those risky steps that they might not have been willing to take before. I, I really, I, I think Chapek got stuck with Kennedy, thanks to George Lucas, unfortunately. And Lucas, I don't think, knew exactly what Kathleen Kennedy's agenda was prior to that. And Well, I don't, she had not. Uh, how do I put this? Showing her true colors? Yes. Her her real side had not come forward yet when she was with George. So I thought it was kind of interesting. Kept it to herself? I, well, I think it's kind of interesting that those true colors actually didn't even come out when George left. It didn't happen until, well, it didn't happen until Steve left. Steve Sansweet. Oh. When Steve Sansweet left, then her true colors started to start coming out if you didn't catch on to that. Uh, I may have not been paying attention. So I really think that's where some of this came from because Sansweet kind of kept Star Wars moving in its old direction, as it were, if you want to call it that. Yeah. 
And that's why I think The Force Awakens wasn't completely political, right? Like, it didn't have that complete political feel to it. Yeah. And then Sam Sweet stepped away, and then she just kind of, like, she, she run it all over all everything. Right. She just pooped all over Luke Skywalker and everything else. And I yeah. just, from that point forward, she just kind of, like, went out of her and way. there was no, for the directors of the films, there was no pushback, unlike the directors of The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, you have Dave Filoni and uh, Favreau who will just tell her, no, we're not doing that. Well, and let's be honest here. The, the real pushback here mm. is from the woke crowd. That's what they're afraid of here. Did you catch yeah. on to that? What they're really worried about here is if they fire Kathleen Kennedy, they're going to get the same reaction they got from Gina Carano. And you know what's ironic about all that? I don't think you're going to get the same reaction. They're just worried about <laughs> I really don't. Well... I think they're worried that, you know, the reason they got mad because Gina Carano left because it was a woman. And I think they misread the entire situation. They misread the situation because Gina Carano, the situation with her was a lot of people were like, it's not right that you let her go because of her political view. Mm -hmm. We're here. They think it's because it's a woman. And in reality, it's because there's a bunch of people that don't agree with their political view. So now they're in the same boat with... Kathleen Kennedy, and they're thinking, oh, well, it's a woman. We don't want to be in the same boat. And I'm kind of like, nope, this has nothing to do with this. This has everything to do with her political view. <laughs> so it's like they're not getting it. So they're about to flop twice if they if they fire her. Uh, but changing the contract to make it year-by-year year performance ratings. Well, and not advantageous to Kathleen. You know, if I'm Kathleen Kennedy and I can get a one-year contract, at $2 million, or I could go over to, I don't know, Warner Brothers and get a $5 million, or let's say a, a, a five-year contract at $12 million, where I'm making more than $2 million a year mm. over and, here. And she could go destroy I, I, the DC Universe. Right, I'll go destroy the DC Universe, and I might leave <laughs> Disney. Now, the other thing, too, that I find interesting on the backside of this that they didn't cover in this article, it's not just executives they're starting to redo the contracts on. Kevin Feige recently warned, and I'll try to find this this article for the show notes. Uh, all right. Kevin Feige recently warned that they are not changing actors and actresses' contracts as well. You're not going to see multi-picture, multi-film contracts to actors anymore. He said that you will not see the Chris Evans guaranteed locked in for five Marvel films contracts anymore. It will be done on a film-by-film basis. Smart. It's smart, but it's when fans smart. are looking for that like cohesive unity in universe, I'm over cohesiveness. No, I'm serious. I'm over cohesiveness. Happy I'd rather Anthony see Mackie be the the Falcon for all of the movies. Uh, okay, so good. I'm actually at the point right now where I actually would rather see eight different people play the Falcon than to have one guy get his head so big and his britches so big that he thinks everything goes through him. And then you don't have anyone being typecast. Eh, I can see how that's right? a little better. Right. Yeah. So maybe maybe people are going to get out, get it in their head that if Falcons, you know, if if it's one person this movie and a different person that movie, you're just going to have to kind of suck it up and deal. But if as long as they look the role right, like to yeah. me, that's the more important part. Who cares the, who the actor is, actress is? I mean, this did makes- I did I enjoy it? The Iron Man was the same guy all the way through. Sure, that kind of helped. But could they have hired other people to be Iron Man? Yeah. Yeah, they could have. They, they could also have. had the situation with Rhodes where in one movie he's one person, the next movie he's a different guy. 
Then did did it seem really out of place? It seems a bit jarring at first. You're like, well, that's but not you got the, used to it. That's not the. Uh, it wasn't the end of the world. No, most people really didn't squawk about it. I, I kind of laughed because some of my friends didn't even notice it. I'm just, I'm just being honest about it. They didn't even notice Racist. it. They're like, the, no, I don't think it's that at all. I just think they weren't thinking like that at all. And then they were like, oh yeah, Rhodes was different, wasn't he? Yeah, I was yeah, like, it was a different yeah. actor. And I was like, yeah, you didn't notice it. Oh yeah, no, and I didn't. No, no, no. But to me, if you're a good actor, it doesn't really matter. And here's the thing, it's already happened anyway. Chris Evans has played more than one Marvel character. Yep. He's been Captain America and Human Torch. Human Torch. So, though, though I think if we do bring Fantastic Four and he pops up as Human Torch, it would be hysterical actually to see him. <laughs> or, or if he mocks like, out, actually, I'd love to see him mock out the guy who plays the Human Torch, right? Like just to have him in the background being like, "Dude, that fire thing's not so cool. It's not as cool as you think it is." You know, like something <laughs> having, like that. Having like cool. the Hulk, where every once in a while when the Hulk movie's going on, we have Lou Ferrigno in the right, background, right. yeah, <laughs> just for fun, you know, just but, a cameo. But I, I, I really think. We need to get away from this idea that executives are going to hang around for five years, that the actors are going to hang around for five years and play the same role. I, th- I really think we need to get away from that. I, I, and here's the other thing, too. When you do stuff like this, you lock everybody else out, right? So if you're a young actor and you're trying to get into the industry and it becomes a, a who you know, not what you know kind of bull that Hollywood has become – then you make sure you lock somebody out as Hulk or Captain America or Thor for the next five years. That's crazy. That's insane. And I really yeah. think I think it's a good idea. I think this is a good thing. I, I think year to year contracts is a good idea. And I'll tell you why too, because I agree with this as a educator. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I would rather people see all the work I'm doing and merit pay me as an educator. In other words, I should get. I should earn what I work for, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm doing a really good job, I should get good pay. And that's not the way my industry currently works. It kind of irks me, actually, to an extent. Because let's face it, you all had one. I did. I had a teacher who should have retired but was still teaching and didn't put a lot of energy into what they were doing. Come on. Yes. You all can name I, at least one person. one. Yep. You can all name at least one teacher who should have retired but didn't because the money was too good, right? And that's because of the way the system's set up. And I don't like that. I want it to be based on how hard I work. I work hard at my job. I want people to recognize that. Teaching for you shouldn't be like, oh, stick a movie on an educational film and no. just fall asleep in my chair. Or try to teach the... Well, I don't class. mind sticking a film in, but man, it better have educational value, and well, you yeah, better be making yeah, a point with that film. And I'm that's, sorry. that's you Watching know, Godzilla economics class. I, that's what I'm talking about. Like, when you do stuff like that, that <laughs> doesn't make any sense with what you're doing, nah, I'm sorry. There's got to be some good reasons Here's behind it. Here's my favorite. Have you ever done this in your classroom? I imagine the answer is going to be no. You no. put money down on a game challenge. Like, here, we're going to do this... Let's make a deal-style game thing. I'm going to put this little box here. You have to take this golf ball and knock it into the box. If you miss, you lose five points off all your tests. I didn't have time for stuff like that. If you win it, you get ten points extra off. So I never had time for stuff like that. I don't understand how teachers can have time for stuff like that. I've been in one of my classes, and that happened. I'm just sitting there going, but, I- I'm not competing. I'd rather keep my but, score based but, on my knowledge. I, I was all about content. I wanted my kids to know the most they could get to know about music. In their classroom, still am, even though I'm a band teacher, same thing. I want them to know as much as they can about that instrument before they move on to the next teacher 
And I think that's a, I think that's the goal. That's, that's your goal. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't develop relationships with my kids. I do. I'm not saying my kids don't, but they learn a lot at the same time. I, 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 I'll admit it. I push my kids a little bit, but it's good. It's good for them. It's good for me. It's good for the program. And, man, I wish more teachers had had that mentality. So you're to your contract. I don't think it's a bad thing. All right. No. So those are our thoughts on those two subjects, on oh Scarlett God. Johansson suing Disney and on the idea of year-to-year contracts, which might drive Kathleen Kennedy away. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at galaxycast at gmail.com, or you could find us on Facebook, Twitter, MeWe. You could find us on Rumble. Click on that subscribe and like button. You could find us on YouTube. Click on subscribe and like. And don't forget, you can find us on all of your podcasting apps as well. Things like iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more. We'd love to hear from you, so please write to us. And we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back in just a moment to talk about the first episode of The Falcon and Winter Soldier. Mm, time for a break, it is. Return in a moment, we will. <laughs> Hi, Fighter Tech! Sound battle alert! It's Millennium Falcon. You have to put it together. And an Imperial TIE Fighter. Batteries for each, not included. Fire light! Secure the ship! Let's get out of here! Ships and Han Solo action figure all sold separately. He's on my tail! Hang on! Uh-oh! He's an asteroid! Stop! Yeah! Imperial TIE Fighter, Millennium Falcon, and action figure all sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection. We don't know where he was born, and we don't even know when he was born, but when our story on him opens up, he is living in Queens, New York, with his aunt and uncle, and we're not even sure why. He gets his powers in a freak accident that has ramifications on the rest of his life, but we'll cover that later. While in school, he is quite the klutzy child and is often mocked by the team's quarterback, who we will call F.T. He struggles managing his personal life and his superhero alto ego, but manages to graduate high school. He enrolls at Empire State University, where he meets his roommate, who we will nickname H.O., and a girlfriend we will nickname G.S., but his aunt introduces him to MJW in an attempt to help his social life. We later discover that H.O.'s father turns out to be a bad guy we will nickname G.G., and G.S.'s father turns out to be a New York City police detective. Early on in his superhero career, G.G. throws G.S. from the George Washington Bridge, and when our hero attempts to save her, he accidentally kills her. In their next battle, it appears as though Gigi accidentally kills himself. In his grief, he becomes friends with MJW, which develops into a relationship, and our hero even proposes to her. MJW turns him down. He graduates college, and his relationship with Deborah Whitman and Felicia Hardy, whose alter ego is Black Cat, blooms. During his times in the Secret Wars on an alien planet, he wears a newly designed costume, which we later discover is an actual alien symbiote, which he struggles to reject. He decides to propose to MJW, and she accepts this time. Later, there is a mock wedding, which included actors that took place in Shea Stadium and was officiated by Stan Lee himself. Our hero gets married and publishes a book titled Webs. He returns to Empire State University in their graduate studies in biochemistry. 
Not too long after this, our hero learns that he is actually a clone developed by Miles Warren, and his real self was living incognito under the name Ben Riley. And Riley eventually reveals his true superhero self and aligns himself with our hero. After all of that craziness, MJW lets our hero know she is pregnant with his baby. Later, GG returns, poisons MJW, and kills our hero's unborn child. We also discover that GG had switched the vials and that Riley is the clone of our hero, which is further proven when he is killed and immediately turns to dust. Later on, our hero finds out his aunt is kidnapped by N.O., and then it's revealed her death was a hoax. Not too long after, MJW is killed in an airplane explosion, but she later turns up alive, but separates from our hero. Continuing on, our hero is hired by his old high school as a teacher, when he learns his powers may be more spiritual than initially thought, and his aunt learns of his alter ego, which helps to open up their relationship. Not too long after, he joins the new Avengers, and he, MJW, and his aunt move into Stark Tower, where he works as Tony Stark's assistant. The U.S. Government Superhuman Registration Act forces him to reveal himself as Peter Parker publicly, after which he, MJW, and his aunt May become part of the anti-registration underground. There is more to Peter Parker's story, but by now you're starting to put the pieces together. See, FT is Flash Thompson. HO is Harry Osborn. GS is Gwen Stacy. GG is the Green Goblin. MJW is Mary Jane Watson. And his aunt is Aunt May. Our hero's alter ego is Spider-Man. The man bit by a radioactive spider who, in his first selfless act, foolishly leads to the death of his Uncle Ben. And that is why... With great power, there must come great responsibility. And now you know the rest of the Galaxy Cast story. Do you own a business or a podcast? Are you looking for ways to expand the audience you reach? Then Star Productions could help you. Southern Tier Audio Recording Productions started off as a homegrown audio recording company, offering professional recordings for aspiring musicians. It is now a multifunctional business offering DJ services, recording, and advertising services to those who own businesses and podcasts. Email us at galaxycast at gmail.com with the subject advertising if you are interested. We look forward to creating a professional commercial for you that can be used in this podcast or even at your local radio station. Many have exclaimed that our services are out of this world. Welcome back to the Galaxy Cast. What if he doesn't survive? Hey folks, welcome back from that break of the Galaxy Cast. We are going to talk about Season 1, Episode 1 of the Falcon Winter Soldier titled New World Order. Directed by Carrie Skoglin. Okay, so... <laughs> Why'd you do it like it's a movie trailer? I don't know. Welcome to the New World Order. I could do that. <laughs> the Star Spangled Band is the next episode. Of the Galaxy Cast. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to read through oh the Wikipedia explanation of what's going on. We can talk about it a little bit as we go. 
Again, I'll put everything in the show notes like I always do. Mm-hmm. And if you're watching on YouTube or if you're watching on Facebook Live, just remember, you're watching the unpolished episode. If you want the real deal, you got to go to galaxycast.com and get the real deal. Okay. So. He's the real deal. That's right. The real deal. <laughs> I don't so, know where that was from. It's just that's the thing. You're welcome. Thank head. you. Okay. Six months after half of all life returned from the blip, Sam Wilson stops George's Bat, George's Bat Rock and the terrorist group LAF who have hijacked a plane and taken a hostage over Tunisia with support from U.S. Air Force First Lieutenant Yaquin Torres. Like, I read, <laughs> as I read this thing the other day, I was kind of like, man, they're it's, missing a I lot of crap in here. <laughs> like, okay, so for six months after the blip, have you noticed everything is now, like, after the blip, after the blip? Well, we so gotta, I kind of feel like pick up with modern stuff, so we have to go after the Endgame movies. I can't help but think though, if somebody's sitting around putting a timeline together for Marvel, you know how the Star Wars timeline used to be like before the Battle of Yavin and after the Battle of Yavin. Yes, yeah, so and now, yeah, we, now have... we have before the blip and after the blip, right? Like that's what I kind of feel like we're doing here. So it's a uh, BTB and ATB. Yeah, I guess right. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just BT or BTS? What was that? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. No. We come back after the blip, and I kind of feel like they glazed over the real beginning of the movie, though. Where Sam... Movie. I keep saying movie. To me, this show feels like a movie, so it's a movie. This first episode was really long and dragged out. I'll give you that. I actually fell asleep this time around. Um, (laughs) Yes. Sam, Sam... Decides to turn the Captain America shield back in, which well, is what kind of starts the whole episode. Yeah, we start out with, the, I think, the funeral, really. Right. Because and you see him ironing his shirt. and just kind of like, no music. Well, I don't know if it's a funeral. They're just... Well, no, well, he, he's getting dressed up into the uh, stuff. Yeah. But he turns the shield in, which confused everyone. They're like, why would he turn the shield in? And if you listened very carefully to what he said to Rhodes... I thought it was important what he said, and you really need to pay attention to it. And he kept saying, I'm not the shield. The shield's not who I am. In other words... That's not the line he said. He even said it at the beginning during that first epi- part of the episode. Steve asks him, how does it feel? <laughs> right. Sam responds, feels like it belongs to somebody else. Right. So the shield didn't feel like him. He didn't feel like he was Captain America. So therefore, how could he use the shield when it doesn't feel like he is Captain America? So I understood where they were going with that. I kind of understood it. You have to feel the part. If you're going to play the character and be the person, you have to feel like it. And I don't think Sam was ready for that yet. So he goes on this mission, pushed by the Air Force to do it. Of course, he just ends up on a plane, so we're assuming he agreed to it. Yeah, he's just up there, and they're like, here's the mission briefing. And so he's going after this group, this terrorist group, LAF, who apparently is headed up by Batrock. Uh, and they've hijacked a plane and taken a hostage over Tunisia. And they're supposed to take care of this. Okay, so I didn't read the whole thing here. This is a... No, no, okay. So let me read the second sentence, because some of these sentences run together. Wilson, who was given the mantle of Captain America by Steve Rogers, struggles with this idea and decides to give Rogers' shield to the U.S. government for a museum display. So he, they do cover it in a second yeah, sentence. Yeah, but that's because it goes... kind of backwards, They cover it up to that point later. Right. The LAF... Airborne uh, scene, I swear, was like, how can we play with this technology and really nail it home that we're up in the air? Well, I liked, I liked the I, whole I'm scene. Not saying it that was it's a cool wrong, scene, but there's definitely some shots. It's like, okay, 
we're playing with it. Like, all right, we're gonna have him fly around in. A, in I will say a this canyon. though. I'm a little disappointed in the way they're handling Batrock as a character overall, because yeah. he definitely seems like a, a a mercenary rather than being the leaper who okay. just like leaps and. Yep, that too. But I'm also saying the way they're treating him is like he's a tertiary character, like he's a kind of a throwaway character when they need a character to have around. And they did the kind of the same thing with Crossbones too, and I was a little upset about that. Apparently, Crossbones is supposed to be there. There are fan pages as well as the Mandarin. Of people arguing that they both should be brought back. Like, yeah, I, I after the blip and you introduce the mutants, bring them back and bring them back right. Well, I I kind of feel like, I mean, maybe the multiverse can help with this. I don't know. Maybe that's how they're going to handle some of that. But I just feel like Batrock is such a tertiary character that they're just throwing him away at any moment they can get to throw him away. It's kind of a shame that they are throwing him away because in the comic books, he was so cool. Now, yes, he wore a stupid yellow leotard, and I know a lot of people thought well, that no, was... he was purple like, with orange boots. Or pur- purple with orange... Well, he had a yellow one, and then he had a purple one. And I know a lot of people thought that was, like, lame, and they thought having him with have with the French, you know... Uh, the... The, mustache and the all that. Stereotypical mustache that yeah. you kill. Like but you know what? I, I wish they would do that. I wish. I, I really think. I, I don't well, know. Even in the animated series, like I was going back and rewatching mm-hmm. in efforts to try to see if it made any sense to rewatch the Ultimate Spider Man series because they kept changing the darn name. Yeah. By the way, tried watching it on Disney Plus. Still doesn't make any sense for the name changes. No, I agree with you. The name changes didn't make any sense at all. And they treat him like a. a <laughs> A stupid character that Spider-Man has to catch every once in a while. It, right. It's for people who've ever watched other shows. It's like that one character that comes back and they're like, beware, and then you yeah. capture him easily. Like, he's, so, he's, he's very defeatable. The LAF gets defeated pretty quick and pretty easily, too. Eh, not necessarily pretty easily, although pretty quick because... You now, know, we never find out what LAF stands for, do we? Nope. Which they're drives me ter- crazy. They're just some terrorist group. They're just some group. terrorist group. They're LAF. Still, they're hijacking people. They like, like to laugh. Ha! Ha! ha laugh. LAF. Please uh, leave the room. Uh, okay. So <laughs> that, that scene was cool. I mean, I liked it and all. Well, I love the Red Wing being able to take out yep. full-on helicopters yep. and such. And then gets very easily destroyed by a single I liked bullet. that Sam went, like, almost threw a helicopter, grabbed a guy, by a rope and pulled him out the other side. I mean, there's just some cool scenes there. Well, and that's why I say this yeah. felt like a movie because, as far as the action sequences were that, concerned, that felt very well choreographed. It felt very cinematic and very open. Which I love the one cool. where it's almost the Deadpool style. Like if he cut, if we cross the border, he won't follow. And then they yeah, turn around. And he's sitting in the seat. Goes, sup? Yeah. <laughs> and then he yeah. kicks the crap out of him. Meanwhile, yeah. Patrick's like, oh, I'm just gonna take this guy and disappear. <laughs> So going on, Bucky Barnes, who was recently pardoned, attends government-mandated therapy where he discusses his attempts to make amends for his time as a brainwashed assassin, the Winter Soldier. Now, time out. Right before this, we had the weirdest nightmare dream ever Well, I, of him being in his old Winter Soldier state. I don't think it was a dream, though. It was a it was a bad memory, a nightmare. It was a nightmare, but I don't think it was a dream. I think he actually did it. I think uh, he, he no, that's what and that's the whole that point out. of the other scene. We is, find that out in the later part of the episode, right? That it actually happened, mm-hmm. and that the girl that he saves is part of it. I just think that Bucky is going to continue to be plagued by what he has done in the past, and I think it's something that he like like Steve had to deal with. I think he's going to have to cope with. The things that he's done that are evil, but because he was programmed to do it that way, 
He's going to have to learn to live with it. He has to deal with the PTSD, but as a villain side of things, and he finally realizes he was a villain. Yes. And I'm okay with that. I like that idea of having to cope with the emotions. That's why I wish they didn't name the show Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, separate the two shows? No. Well, I think Bucky's being redeemed here, so I really think it should have been Falcon and Bucky, not Falcon and the Winter Soldier. fair enough. Because Winter Soldier is getting redeemed, right? Like, that's the whole point. Or maybe Falcon and White Wolf. Maybe. I would have been okay with White Wolf. That would have worked for me, meaning that he's on his way to becoming back to being Bucky again. But I just don't feel like he's Winter Soldier the Winter when Soldier he's was trying a, to redeem was the Hydra himself. Agent. Right. That Winter Soldier was an agent that was programmed to do things for Hydra. And I don't, you know, Bucky's trying to come out on the other side of that. You know, not, I think he's in a fog. I think, you know, yeah. he's been, he's been beat up to all oh, heck and stuff. But I don't I, think... I, you could call him Winter Soldier at this point anymore. I could almost see people who have been in combat having these style of dreams, like mm-hmm. going through that action. Like you said, it's a version of PTSD. Yeah. So that whole situation happens, and then the therapy session is... I feel like for a therapy session, it's too darn quiet. There needs to be some music in the background, not even like... It doesn't have to be, like, pop music. It's got to be, like, some sort of, like... Well, what did you think of the whole scene where he took control of the car, moved well, it around I was the getting women? to that, but I'm saying there's all the scenes where it's like, so, what's going on? Well. Like, there's guys, nothing there audio-wise. A lot of guys who go through PTSD actually don't like to talk about what caused the PTSD. I so understand that, but I'm saying as, as a, a psychologist, session, you have to do more to try to dig it out of what's going on with them. You as know a therapy I mean? session, you wouldn't want to have, like orchestral music like very soft string but music remember, in the background okay he doesn't want to be there anymore and the therapist wants to be there and it's government mandated therapy mm-hmm. so do you get what i'm saying like he yeah, doesn't want to be there my, he doesn't want to have to talk about my this stuff. small nitpicks here are there are scenes with no audio in the background nothing mm-hmm. and it is dragging and it, it that's part of my what i felt like it made it move too slow yeah, I get it. There's scenes where there's nothing going on. I agree. Except I agree. One there's thing. a lot of talking in this episode where I was kind of like, "Come on." Well, the come whole on. the one um, the one off where it's Coulson and Sitwell sitting there talking about things, and they cut back and forth to small clips, felt shorter than this episode with all its talking. Right. So let's move on. So Torres investigates another terrorist group, the Flag Smashers, who believe life was better during the blip. Now. I thought that was interesting that they're using the blip as the point of view for the Flag Smashers. Now, Flag Smashers were a thing in the in the comic books. Mm. They were people that didn't like Captain America. They thought he was too nationalistic. Um, the idea that, you know, America so now, the America Flag first. Smasher is correct to be kind of like one world government, one world order, one yep, human they, race. They felt, yes. Um, they yes. were... They were the communists of the 80s. So they're the Roddenberries. Gotcha. Yes, actually they are. You're right. Oh the Gene my. Roddenberries. Wow, I nailed that on the head. I was joking. No, no. They they really did believe that. Well, in communism in the 80s believed that, you know, I call it the Kumbaya believe mo- movement. That, you know, everybody's going to get together and hold hands and sit around a gigantic campfire and be like, hey, we're all part of one race, the human race, kumbaya, my human race, kumbaya. You know, like, they thought that that was going to happen. There were people in the 80s and 90s that truly felt like, I mean, the world was starting to come to peace with certain things. Wars weren't endless, and we hadn't had a world war in 50 years. 
Right. So it was kind of like, okay, well, you know, uh, you know, languishing anger seemed to be going away, you know, and then 9-11 happened <laughs> and that kind of changed things. You know, I, well, I hate to say it, but this, when they talk about the blip, I, I do, I, you know, you don't remember it much. No. The blip in the Marvel Universe right now very much feels like the 9-11 of my generation. Like, I remember time before 9-11, and I remember a time now after 9-11, and everything has changed since 9-11. Mm-hmm. You don't remember prior to 9-11. No, I, I was You born. don't remember what the world was like prior to 9-11, and that's, I kind of feel like, the blip is to them as 9-11 was to us. There was a different world prior to 9-11, and it is a completely different world now after 9-11, and Marvel felt the same way as the blip. There was a different world before the blip. The blip happened, and now it seems like there's a different Marvel universe after the blip, which I'm actually okay with them doing that. Yeah. I'm also okay with the idea that there's a group out there. It's like, hey, you know, during the blip, things were better. Everyone was able to be at peace, and we could all work with one world order. And mm-hmm. We want that back, and with everyone back in the system. So, you know, I, I'm not saying I agree with communists. That's not nope. what I'm saying. Nope. What I'm saying is there will always be groups like that. And we have to figure out how to work with those groups or get them to understand why the time during the blip might not have been as great as you thought it was. You know, maybe like it was watching, great for you, but maybe it wasn't the great for the rest of us. Just watching, yeah. just like watching Game of Thrones and watching Joffrey do terrible things and go, why yes. do you as a character exist? Ah, Game of Thrones. So those who don't know, my son's watching Game of Thrones for the first time. He, he doesn't know what's going to happen yet, so I'm not going to tell him, but, you know, Joffrey. You'll all remember that. I'll just leave it at that. So I don't going need on. to be... No, 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 we're not going to go there. Okay. So Torres is injured by a member of the group with superhuman strength when he witnesses them rob a bank in Switzerland. Dude watches him throw a cop and pulls a gun on him. You mm. an idiot. <laughs> so do you think these guys have a super soldier serum? Do you think that's what's going on here? Yeah, because it's kind of obvious. Mm. Later on the show, it's kind of obvious. But uh, Well, is it? Yes, because it actually is been proven during the episode Power Broker. There's a there's a particular super soldier serum. There it is, created okay. by Doctor Nagel. Uh, okay. So he he they robbed this bank in Switzerland. I mean, this guy is like you know on steroids times twenty. He also has long hair. Yep. Uh, he later informs Wilson of this, who has been attempting to help his reluctant sister Sarah with the family fishing business in Delacroix, Louisiana. The government soon announces a new. Captain America, John Walker. So I'll get to the last sentence here in a minute, but I, the the whole Sam Wilson thing with his sister and trying to go get a loan for the fishing boat and all that, that seemed rather, I don't know, drawn out too, don't you think? Like, Yeah. I, I know I, it later on towards the end it pays out. It right, pays like off. I get it, but it just kind of didn't feel like it... It fell out of place. It, it, Almost forced in this episode yeah, it was, to be going there. It kind of felt like for this episode, the only reason they were writing up to it was so that they could have the white bank teller tell them that the black people can't be able to get the bank loan they need. And unfortunately, it's not a situation of racism. It's just I can't help you because of the blip. Right. Right. Like I that, agree with that you there. scene was where they were going with all of that. Yeah. That's all it was. Well, it was almost like you, you could see them spiking the ball, right? Getting ready to do that. I'm like, say, oh, well, boy, here we go. Get... Yeah, I agree with you. And I also want to point and out. And I know that sounds bad, people. Like, I get it. Like, I, I get it. But. The other thing is, is if that's, you, it just seemed like that's all they were setting and spiking the ball for here. You yeah, know? And, and you had to have the scene where it's the it's the dock, but it's the only p- dock that has all the black fishermen. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to sound racist, but I'm like, 
you wouldn't think you'd see some poor white fishermen who are on that dock with kind of small boats that are not really all that I well I will maintained. say this, though. They probably do, and I'm just guessing here, that African Americans might be a small portion of the fishing fleet. And so, therefore, they might have a tendency to get together and work together because they might uh, be I'm, trying to protect each other. I don't other. see anything wrong with that. I just creating a family. I'm just no. I know what you're saying, too, though. You know what I mean? We don't want them necessarily to be separated. We'd like to see everybody work in harmony, right? Like all fishermen working together, you know, like I get it. I get it. Austin. I know what you're saying. So I the last sentence, the government soon announces a new Captain America, John Walker. And it was kind of funny because the minute they went to John Walker, I was like, yep, there he is. And I'm like, no, 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 no way. No way. And then John Walker walks out and I just look at him and go, you. And my I wife's like, you. my wife's like, you know, why is this such a big deal? I'm like, well, John Walker is a U.S. agent. So I kind of explained to her a little bit, at least when it first came out, because a lot of people didn't know much about John Walker. See, unlike other people, <laughs> I like John Walker, U.S. agent as Captain America. And I know other people are like, well, he's a bad guy. Blah, 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 blah. He's not Steve Rogers. That's the whole point. He's not Steve Rogers. And that is something I'm going to keep bringing up as we talk about. John Walker as Captain America. Everybody compares him to Steve Rogers, and that's the problem with assuming that John Walker is going to be the Steve Rogers Captain America. He has PTSD in his own way. He has problems in his own way trying to deal with the demons that he's dealt with as a soldier. Here's what I will say about U.S. Agent. It's not necessarily about John Walker, although I think the Walker story is interesting. The arc was interesting. I liked the costume. That's where really where I'm at. And we'll talk about that later as we get towards the end of this series. But the costume, the John Walker, U.S. agent, Captain America costume is the costumes I liked. I liked his version of the cap costume, the red, white, and blue one. And I liked the black and red one that he wears later on after that. And I... I to see the costume come out, I was really kind of happy to see the typical John Walker costume. Now, is he going to be a guy everybody's going to hate? Probably, because that's the goal of John Walker, and everybody forgets that. And it's funny because everybody's like, he's not my Captain America. And I'm like, wow, you people didn't read the comics, and you're not getting it. You're supposed to hate this guy. It's kind of like when Anakin Skywalker comes out, and everybody's like, he's such a little brat. I'm like, yeah, that's the whole point. Like, that's the I whole Point. I feel like the Clone Wars series kind of made it also so you saw some darker portions of it, especially yes. when like Ahsoka or Rex was threatened or anything like that. He'd go into an uncontrollable rage. But he was supposed to be a bratty little kid. John Walker is supposed to be kind of a jerk. You're just not a Joffrey level jerk. No, but he's supposed to be a jerk. Now, there's a redemption. <laughs> Can I just say this too, though? And this yeah, is the part everybody forgets. There is a redemption level story to John Walker, too. By the end, you're not going to hate him. And I'm not talking about this show. I'm talking about way later on. You're not going to hate John Walker. You're going to start to suddenly realize that although he did some really stupid things on the way to getting to where he gets, you're not necessarily going to see him as a bad guy, but as a guy who is misunderstood. And I think when it's all said and done, and I, I won't say who it is, but somebody puts together another group, and Walker leads that group, and it happens, and everything goes down, I think you're going to find out that he is simply misunderstood, and his intentions are misunderstood, and that his heart's in the right place, and he was just not... Nobody really understood what he was trying to do. Anyways. 
<laughs> so here's another one, too, that I want people to think about at the end of this episode. How hard do you think it would be to fill in Steve Rogers' shoes for anyone? Forget Falcon. Just any average person. How hard would it be to fill in the shoes of Steve Rogers? Be pretty darn hard, don't you think? Yep. And I think that's the problem John Walker's going to have. And me personally, as a, as a thing when the show was announced, I'm like, I know they're going to go do Falcon as Cap, but I really wanted to see the Winter Soldier Cap. Yeah, I get it. He may happen later. Again, we've got a multiverse I now. I know, but I wanted to see it happen in the show. It could still happen. I Just wanted to see it not happen in this show. with like having them both dressed up like Captain America, having them as the Captain Americas, and the two of them tag team with the shield. They could be able to, you know, almost uh, Captain America can't Civil War ending with Iron Man. Hey, can't say it couldn't happen in a movie later on. That would be awesome, just to have so, that fight scene of... Yeah, I get it. That would be awesome. Okay, so let's rate this episode as zeros that don't bother, tens that must see. What do you think of season one, episode one of Falcon and Winter Soldier? Is it a must see? Is it a not must see? What do you think? What? What? It's a solid eight. Okay. Not terrible. A little dragging in spots. Some audio silences that I, I would... I get perturbed by audio silences, but that's just me. I would be the one who was like, if I have a hour episode, the audio is going to start at episode, minute one, and it'll be done by minute zero and everything else. Uh, I'd give this one a four. Oh. Oh. When I first saw this episode, I kind of went, wow, sucked. <laughs> and when I, when, wow. I, when I went online and all these people online were raving about it on Facebook, I was kind of like, did I miss something? Did I... Um, and I will tell you why Perhaps it sucked. It might have been my fans it, still it, being. It had a good action sequence. Just just the Bat Rock Falcon sequence was awesome. That was great. Don't get me wrong. But it was the only good thing about the whole episode. You I didn't... did not like the psychological elements with Winter Soldier. I thought it was useless and pointless. We already know he's got skeletons. You don't need to tell me or show me. I got it. The man's got PTSD. You don't like him taking vengeance on it by, like, having the car driven around? I thought it was stupid. Oh, really? I actually thought it made Winter Soldier seem weaker rather than stronger. I thought it was more hilarity just to, like, say, well, I could get... But it didn't come across as humor. If it was the intention was humor, it didn't come across that way. Did mm. you really think it came across as humor? Yeah, a bit of dark sense humor, but yeah. Maybe, maybe, but I, I didn't... Like, the fact that he broke every single rule they set up was I, I didn't think humor. it was... Yeah, I get it. I didn't think it was necessary to the character's story. Do you get what I'm saying? It wasn't necessary. Uh, I feel Sam like Sam handing necessary. off the, the shield, that could have been a, you know, since the blip kind of, you know what I mean? Like, you could have done... You could have taken this whole episode and, and on the next it. episode recapped it at the beginning... And started on episode two, and I think you would have had a better start to Falcon and Winter Soldier than you did by doing what we did. I just think you really could have. I, I The only thing in this show that didn't make it a two for me was just the simple fact that the Falcon had that really cool fight scene with Batrock. That was worth it. Mm -hmm. And I really think it was worth having John Walker come out at the end to introduce U.S. Agent. I thought that was important. But again, that could have been part of a recap. So that's that's why I had it low at, at a four. I know a lot of people figured or assumed I would be like, oh my gosh, it's Captain America Winter Soldier. And I, I wanted to be. I wanted to be. But that first episode, I was kind of like, mm. like, if you remember the night we watched it, I didn't say much. Because I was kind of like, no, mm. I really had not bought into it yet. And I was kind of like, well, I want to let it. 
you see, were saying stuff. It was mostly mom and I and Tara asking questions. Yeah, I, I was more in the mode of like how I felt at the beginning of, and that's where I was kind of like keeping my mouth shut because when we first watched WandaVision and I was at the beginning of that, I was kind of like, this is boring. Like we're not going anywhere. And then by the end, I was like, this was amazing, right? Yeah. And so like I wanted to let Cap and I wanted to let Falcon and Winter Soldier roll out. Kind of like WandaVision. You kind of like WandaVision, right? Before I I started saying, okay, I hate this, you know. Now and, I'll and, admit, and, I let Loki roll out, and we talked about it, and it I didn't too, really like Loki until the last two episodes. It wasn't yeah. until then that I went, okay, now I get where you're going. I mean, the the uh, what's the girl from the Clock Lady? Oh yeah, the yeah Miss Minutes. Yes. When the Miss Minutes thing has come out as a meme, I think we've officially realized that Loki is a kind of meme culture thing more yeah. than it is helpful. Yeah. And as well as memes coming out of like the Spider-Mans that are like pointing at I each just other. wasn't into it. That's why we're not going to review it because it just didn't seem Oh, like... really? We're not reviewing it. Okay. No, we're not going to review Loki. Not here. I just didn't feel like it was worth our time, effort, energy uh, going into Loki. We've got too many other things coming down the pipeline that, that I wanted to get to. And Falcon and Winter Soldier is one of them we got to get to. Uh, we might watch Bad Batch. I'm not sure what we're going to do next, but we'll talk about it. I know. I know. I know. But, okay, so those are our thoughts on the first episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier. We'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at galaxycast at gmail.com or let us know on Facebook or Twitter or find us on YouTube and give us some comments or rumble and you can do the same thing. So, as we always like to say here in the Star Production Studios, may the Force be with those who listen to Jedi Killer Dillion and Shazam. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the GalaxyCast. We hope the show enlightened you on some of the latest stories in the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and cosplay. We appreciate your time and we also value your opinion. We'd love to hear from you. Please take some time to send us your feedback at our email, which is galaxycast at gmail.com. Or you can contact us via social media. Just head on over to Facebook or Twitter and search the word GalaxyCast, all one word, and leave us some comments. If you want to see some behind the scenes of our production, head on over to YouTube and search GalaxyCast there as well. You will find us under our Star Productions banner. The GalaxyCast podcast can also be found online at GalaxyCast.com or through your podcast aggregators like the Apple Store or Spotify. The Galaxy Cast is a production by Star Productions. Themed commercials within this episode are also written and produced by Bob Chrisman through Star Productions, all rights reserved. Music from the intro and outro of the Galaxy Cast can be found online at www.silvermansound.com. Intro music is titled Switch Me On, and outro music is titled The Gatekeepers. You can find links in our show notes. Until next time, Galaxy Cast fans. Follow the first star to the right and straight on till morning.
Pixie Cast.